Dr. Ann Banning is from Rochester, Michigan. She received her DVM from Michigan State University in 2002. She then completed a general internship in small animal medicine and surgery at Garden State Veterinary Specialists in New Jersey, followed by an internship and residency in medical oncology at the Animal Cancer and Imaging Center in Rochester Hills, Michigan. She was board certified by the American College of Veterinary Internal Medicine, subspecialty oncology in 2008. She was certified in veterinary acupuncture by IVIS in 2007. In addition, she's taken multiple advanced courses in veterinary Chinese herbal medicine. She obtained a graduate diploma in veterinary Chinese herbal medicine from the College of Integrative Veterinary Therapies as well. Dr. Bannock practices integrative oncology with classical Chinese veterinary medicine at Oakland Veterinary Referral Services in Bloomfield Hills, Michigan. She's a faculty member at CIVT and lectures to international audiences about integrating conventional cancer therapies with Chinese herbal medicine in veterinary cancer treatment. She's also a contributing lecturer for a Time to Heal classical Chinese herbal medicine courses. She studied yogic and Mahayana Buddhist philosophy and meditation since 2003. She's also a certified yoga instructor and has led classes, workshops, and retreats on the topics of yoga, meditation, Buddhism, pranayama, kirtan, and mantra practice. Please enjoy this conversation with Dr. Bannock as we discuss her veterinary college experience, her introduction to acupuncture, her postgraduate training in both oncology and Chinese herbal medicine, and her integrative oncology. Dr. Bannock, thanks for joining me tonight. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Oh, man, it's my pleasure. Hey, so you grew up close to where you live now, yes? I did, yeah. I actually grew up exactly in the same town I live right now. Is that pretty cool, being back in the same place you grew up in? It is. It's sort of funny, too, because I always thought that I wanted to get out of here as fast as I could, and life brought me right back, and now I love it. I'm very happy and content here. (laughs) But I never would have guessed that I'd end up back here when I was in high school. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. Um, So at what point did you think that veterinary medicine was going to be something you were going to do for a career? Oh, I think I came into the world that way. That was the only thing I could ever remember doing when I was little. Uh, You know, like I think a lot of people have stories like that. But when I was little, I always knew that I was going to be a veterinarian. I can't really remember ever wanting to do anything else. Although there was a short period of time where I contemplating contemplated doing pediatrics, but that was when I was a bit older. So I think it's just, it just was in my blood. It just came as part of me. <laughs> they're not that dissimilar though, pediatrics. I, I they're, they're very similar actually. Yeah. yeah. Very similar. So you went off to undergrad with the idea that you're a pre-vet. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no backup plan. Just you're, you're going to be a veterinarian. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, where I went to um, undergrad, I just did the pre-med program, but I always pretty much knew where I was headed. Yeah. And was Michigan State your only choice? Was that the only place you wanted to go? For For vet school? Yeah. um, I don't actually even remember the places I applied to, but that was definitely my first choice and it was in state. So that made sense. Yeah. Yeah. Did you enjoy vet school? I did. It was an interesting time in my life because I had gotten married 10 days before I started vet school. (laughs) Ah. So there was a lot of adjusting that happened during that period of my life. But, uh, you know, it was very intense. Um, I'm very studious. So I studied a lot. And, um, you know, 
you know, everything in life is a learning experience, but I really enjoyed Michigan State. We had a very good program when I was there and um, I had a really good experience there with all the the professors and the learning experience was really good. Yeah. So at what point did you, did the idea of specializing come up? Um, probably towards the end when I was, um, getting close to graduation, to be honest, I had done a couple of rotations in one of them, an an externship in oncology. And I had already sort of developed a bit of an interest in that, obviously, which is why I elected that as an externship. And then I had also done um, an externship in alternative medicine. So I had some exposure to acupuncture. So the two of those were kind of in my mind when I was trying to decide what I wanted to do. And I knew at that point that I really didn't want to go into general practice. So that was... That was sort of a not something I went into vet school thinking that I would want to do, but I saw the need that was there, you know, in oncology as far as the, um, you know, the dynamic that people experience when their pet has been diagnosed with that. What always sort of interested me about it was, um, first of all, the emotional journey that people go on, you know, like, and especially when you're a student and you can really just be present and kind of observing that, um, it became really interesting and obvious to me how there's a certain, you know, I always sort of have had a tendency to look at life as a journey, right? So as we're going through all of the experiences that we have in life, we are you know, growing in certain ways or learning different things. And um, so through that lens, when I'm doing my oncology rotations, you just really start to think about how the process that people go through when they go through that with their pets is in so many ways really similar to when they go through a cancer diagnosis with themselves or with their family members, as far as all of the emotions they go through and sort of the you know, life revisionism that a lot of people experience. And so it was just really interesting to me, the value in going through that and, and sort of being able to be present for people when they're going through that process to sort of acknowledge that and be able to support that in a certain way. And I, you know, in clinical practice, especially in private practice, you know, we get so busy a lot of times that, um, you know, I was just feeling there was a need there that was calling to me that I felt like mm, that, you know, would be a good fit for me to sort of uh, focus on. And also there's so much need there for new treatments, right? Cause we're not very often curing cancer. And so I could also see the applications of some of these alternative medicine options that I was getting interested in already in vet school. So it just seemed like a natural fit for a lot of different reasons for me and kind of brought together a lot of different interests and, and sort of, um, you know, when you, when you look at your career and ask, what can I, what can I bring to my career and bring to help other people? There were just a lot of facets of that, that fit into oncology that, think is ultimately what led me to go down that road. 
two things that come up now that you in hearing that you must have had really great mentors in oncology, you know, as a student, because to, you know, to have an idea that that was something you want to do and to be able to be around people that were good examples. Cause you know, uh, not all oncologists, uh, you know, they, they get walled off sometimes. And so it wouldn't, they wouldn't have, may not have encouraged that sort of, you know, um, exploration on your part. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because uh, while I'm obviously really grateful for the training that I had, one of the reasons that I felt so pulled to it is because I was seeing just what you're describing, you know, because it's so stressful on the other side of things as a doctor and a practitioner that I was seeing how, how people sort of, you know, like you said, wall themselves off and, and don't, you know, don't really engage in that particular way. So I think one of the things that drew me was actually seeing how often that happened and kind of feeling sad by that, you know, and sort of seeing how much of a need there is for us to be able to be present with each other. The opportunity there, I guess, is what I would say, that there's an opportunity there to be present with each other in a certain way that doesn't really happen very often. Um, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that um, you know, my mentors certainly weren't discouraging of that, but I think that was something that I leaned into because of feeling the lack of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 So, so no exposure to alternative medicine in school, or did you have any as a student? Yeah. Besides- yeah in school, I had fairly minimal exposure. We did have an alternative medicine club that I went to lectures for an after school kind of thing. And then I did get special permission to do an externship with somebody in Grand Rapids. That was about an hour and a half from the college to, she did acupuncture and actually homeopathy is what she did. And um, I was surprised to have gotten permission to do that, but I did. We did have an acupuncturist at the school who um, was one of our anesthesiologists, but she didn't really do that much that I was exposed to anyways. But um, I think there was at least a little bit of openness to it because of that. Um, But yeah, other than that, there wasn't too much exposure in veterinary school but the alternative medicine club definitely helped to um, nurture that interest and kind of open up a door there to show that there were some other possibilities beyond what we were exposed to in our conventional training and beyond veterinary school. So that was helpful, I think, to open my eyes to that option. Yeah, those clubs have a really mm-hmm. important service, you know. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. So graduate off to internship then with the idea that you're going to, you're going to do oncology. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I did a general rotating internship in New Jersey at a private practice. And then I came back to Michigan and did a private practice oncology internship and residency. And then I got my acupuncture training actually while I was in my residency. So that also was interesting. I I tend to choose the very intense routes to life at his peers. (laughs) Well, yeah, I it was a lot, but it was really, um, it was good to let those two skills sort of mature together to see what was possible with that. Well, when I looked at your bio and I sort of did the timeline there and I realized, oh my God, she did, <laughs> she did her IVIS course while she was a resident. Yeah. And yeah. I, I'm just 
floored by that. Yeah. I don't know that I would recommend that, but it worked out. I survived. <laughs> and uh, it got me going a lot earlier, which I'm really thankful for. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. So let's talk about your residency. I'm fascinated because you were at a you were at a cancer only center. I was, yeah. And and how was I mean, compared to your colleagues who might have done residency who would most likely have done residencies in a specialty clinic with all the specialists around, what was it like to be just in the cancer center? Yeah. Um I mean, we were very, very, very busy. So we had a huge caseload. So I was fortunate to get a lot of exposure, um, like just volume wise to a lot of different scenarios and a lot of different cases. And um, because that's all we did, everything I saw was very focused on that. So, um, you know, we just referred out if we had internal medicine issues that had to get addressed. So we didn't have a surgeon on site for the beginning of my residency either. So we referred out to that, but it just really allowed me to get immersed in that. And like I said, we were really, really busy. So I got a lot more um, cases under my belt than a lot of times I think that we get when we're in university settings because the caseload tends to be not quite as intense. Yeah. Sure. But, um, Obviously, there was a there, an emphasis on getting you ready for boards. You yeah. know, even with the caseload that you know, oh, yeah. you felt like it, they must have given you support to to get you ready to take the to take oh, the yeah. exams. Yeah, I went up to MSU uh, for pathology rounds and journal club and you know all that kind of stuff. So Barb Kitchell was up there. So I trained with the residents that were at MSU at the time too. So we kind of had a joint residency with them in a sense, although clinically I was down here at the, at the cancer center. So really the best, kind of the best of both worlds then. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Oh, that's good. Uh, so done with residency then to the practice you're at now, or did, did you make some stops along the way? No, I went right to the practice I'm at now. Yep. And I've been there ever since. Yeah. Now, they were very supportive of my interest in integrative medicine. So that was uh, something that was really important to me when I got finished with my residency. Sure. And was your, did you look at employment opportunities elsewhere where that, that support wasn't there or did it just work out that there was a practice? Well, yeah, I didn't really because Dan, uh, my husband was at the time in physical therapy school, so we couldn't move. Uh, I mean, it would have been difficult to move. So, um, no, pretty much, pretty much I negotiated for OVRS, hoping that that would work out. And as the fates would have it, it did. And they've been very supportive. It's, it was a good move and, uh, you know, good decision for sure. Was it, is it your sense, correct me if I'm wrong, that, that, uh, as far as specialists doing holistic medicine, would you think that oncology's probably got more than any other specialty? Um, probably I think, you know, neurology has a lot of specialists that do acupuncture and that sort of thing. Um, but definitely I think between internal medicine in general and the subspecialty of oncology, there's seems to be more, um, open interest in the oncology subspecialty within ACVIM for sure. Yeah. 
And you guys have to be a pretty small club. I mean, you must not all know each other. Yeah. I mean, there, there's enough that I obviously don't know everybody, but it's small compared to a lot of the other groups for sure. Sure. Um, had you already started your herbal training during your residency or was that after? I started, well, I actually started doing some herbal medicine learning, although not officially, during the last part of my acupuncture training because I did my, you know, through IVIS, you have to do a 40-hour of internship kind of rotation or out rotation to get your certification. And um, I had gone up and done that with Steve Marsden, who you know, was very helpful and encouraging me to dabble in some herbs for my cancer patients. And so he was really amazing and very, very supportive during that whole period of time where I was just exploring all of that. And so I had started with just a couple of formulas in my pocket just to get some experience with what was possible with that um, under his guidance. And that really is what opened my eyes to what was possible with herbs because I had originally started doing acupuncture thinking that I just wanted to be able to help with quality of life things because a lot of my patients are obviously geriatric. So they had a lot of degenerative conditions, arthritis, mobility problems, and appetite, you know, appetite issues from either the cancer or the chemotherapy treatments. And I was um, aware that acupuncture was being used in human medicine to help with those kind of things. And at the time that I started, I really didn't have a deep appreciation for how much internal medicine stuff that you could do with acupuncture and herbs. So I started doing herbs during my residency and did a little bit of training there. And then I took, um, like a actual official big course through a time to heal herbs with Steve and Mona Boudreau when I started at OVRS. So, because I had time to do it at that point, I didn't have the bandwidth to go through all of that in addition to my residency and study for boards and all that kind of stuff. So the herb, the intensive herbal training started in 2007 when I had started at OVRS and I went down to get more in-depth training on the herbs there. Yeah. Where were the, where was the course then? Where were they holding it? Uh, they held it at Wonder Lake, which is outside of Chicago. It was a residential course, which was really nice because we got so much interactive Um you know, discussion and things like that face-to-face. I really appreciated that. The learning experience was very different for me, you know, different for me than what we can do remotely just because there um, is so much relationship building when you have a course like that. And um, uh, we had to talk a lot about case examples and, and things like that. So. Yeah. Everybody who's done the course at the lake, so to speak, has, uh, Nothing but great things to say about it. Uh, yeah, it was, it was a great experience, a really great experience. And I mean, we—I have friends that I made there that I still have these today. So, you know, those are the life experiences that are really valuable. Oh yeah, I, I mean, I have to back up for a minute because I mean, interning 
during doing your Ivis hours with Dr. Marsden, it's like uh-huh. going like to the top of the mountain, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was great. Um, I just want to take a second because I don't, do you host students yourself? I haven't. No. Mm-mm. You know, I, I've done some and, but I just want to, the, the people that like Dr. Marsden and, and I was fortunate enough to do a bulk of my hours with Dr. Lori McCauley and just, mm-hmm. the, you know, the gift that they give you, give students, you know, it's just incredible that because it's a, it's not easy to have interns in and, you know, you got to teach and, you know, you got your caseload and, and just the giving that those people ahead of us, so to speak, that, uh, allow us to do that sort of thing. It's just, oh. a really, yeah, quite a gift. yeah. It's, it, it was life-changing for me, you know, and I always say that, uh, Steve has done so much more for me than I think he ever will know, you know, just because of, um, his generosity and his willingness to help me, you know, help me learn and be encouraging and, you know, think the best of me. So That's wonderful. Yeah. That's wonderful. Um, other, and you did the course, the graduate course at CIVT. I did. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did that because um, I really was impressed by the amount of literature referencing that they had, you know, the amount of literature that went along with the course. And, you know, now at this point, I had the basic course and a, a bunch of advanced courses under my belt. And I was using the medicine more and more frequently, the herbal medicine more and more frequently. And being in a specialty center, I'm constantly communicating with our referral basis here, the, the veterinarians that refer to us. And, you know, I was, I originally took it because I just thought it would be really helpful to have that, um, more science grounded background. Do you know what I mean? Cause the, the time to heal course was very classical Chinese herbal medicine. Right. Mm-hmm. And you kind of get that foundation and you practice from there. I was already cross-referencing that to the uh, published literature and using that to sort of guide my case prescribing. And the CIVT course is so good at, at being heavily referenced with, with a bunch of published articles. And so it was a really good resource and a really good experience. And it helped me a lot with developing, uh, more nuanced perspective of herbal medicine and how do you translate the traditional Chinese medicine language to Western biomedicine language? Because I think there's a big gap there. And and there's so many people that think never the twain shall meet, you know, because it's like English and German or English and Chinese, I guess, right? Um, But there's some really interesting... um, kind of correlations or ways that you can bring those concepts together. And the CIVT course was really helpful for me in that way. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's no reason that there has to be Mm -hmm. an us and them for sure. Yeah. And I think that a lot of it is just that it's hard to know what kind of language to use, you know, because obviously I can't get on the phone and talk to my conventionally trained colleagues about, you know, spleen tea deficiency and liver blood deficiency and damp heat and all that kind of stuff, right? It, it's a totally different language that doesn't mean anything to them. So the CIVT course was really helpful for me to kind of uh, work out 
uh, common language to sort of express what I'm doing with herbal therapy in a way that is, you know, translatable to our sciencey language. Yeah. Yeah. Now, have your referring veterinarians are they pretty accepting of your integrative approach? Yeah, they are. Yeah, I get I get a lot of cases referred specifically for integrative medicine. And am I correct? You you probably don't do any for the other specialists in your practice, right? Um, well, I do some and I used to do more. The problem is I'm so busy now that I have a limited availability to take other cases, but I do take in-house referrals for sure. I get, you know, I get cases from critical care a lot. They'll come down to consult with me, um, internal medicine. One of our internal medicine doctors actually, um, is Western herb trained. So that's kind of fun because we, you know, can talk about cases together and, um, you know, she sends me, she sends me some of her cases that she thinks would benefit from Chinese medicine and that sort of thing. But m- most of my caseload is oncology just because I don't have time to see other things right now. Yeah. Oh, I can imagine. But that that's kind of cool that you've got another specialist that's got an interest at least. I do. I do. Yeah. All right. So outside of work, when, uh, when did you start studying yoga and Buddhism? Yeah. Um, I actually started doing yoga when I moved back to Michigan and started my um, oncology training. And I had a blossoming urge for looking into yoga during vet school, but there just wasn't anything available in East Lansing at the time. And when I moved back here, the um, old library that I used to go to all the time when I was little had been converted into a business and there was a yoga studio in there. And, um, you know, I walked in there and met my first yoga teacher and the rest was history. It was so helpful for me during my residency to, um, stay sane, you know, (laughs) to find a effective way to relax. And, um, and then a couple years after I was practicing yoga, the community here started a Tuesday night study group. So we were studying Mahayana Buddhist lineage of um, Tibetan Buddhism very intensely. There was a whole, oh gosh, I think it was a, maybe a 20 course course, like a study course that we did. So I started studying there, um, which was actually really helpful. It was, um, one still, I think of it as one of the most transformative times of my life, just because it really was helpful to teach me or to get me to really appreciate how important it is to work from the inside out, you know, and how much of my life I always have, you know, we try to do things manipulating everything on the outside, you know, and it's not reliably effective. So, um, you know, I still live with, uh, the understanding that I gleaned from all of that deep Buddhist study for sure. Yeah. I got to imagine that helps you with, uh, your coping. You know, and you're- yeah. It, does. It, it helped me survive, survive my residency. That's for sure. <laughs> Cause you know, it's very stressful. Um, it's very stressful and it, it gave me a good balance and um, gave me a different perspective, you know, a different perspective to look at life, a different lens to look at life through. And it gave me a different place to work, 
you know, it gave me tools to work with the stressors that I was experiencing. And um, that's when I started learning really how to meditate way back then, uh, which was really helpful for me. So it was definitely transformative. Yeah. And, um, and you did yoga teacher training at some point. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did that. I think when I shortly after I started at OVRS, I went down and took a um, residential intensive yoga teacher training that was um, the reason that I took that one is that it was very um, heavily focused on inner body yoga. Mm. And that fit in obviously very nicely with the Chinese medicine training as far as understanding um, how things move in the body. You know, Chinese medicine is chi, and in yoga, that's called prana. And so the yoga teacher training was all uh, very heavily focused on the pranic body and how we work with that to change our mind and change our world. So that kind of thing, you know, was always very interesting to me from a spiritual standpoint. So, yeah. Did you go into that teacher training with the idea that it was it just to further your practice or did you have a sense that you maybe wanted to teach at some point? Well, you know, I already was teaching a lot of the Buddhist philosophy classes already by the time that I took that yoga teacher training. So, um, my intention was to use that yoga teacher training to sort of support the classes that I was already teaching and to support how that was going to develop down the road. So I did, um, I used to teach yoga asana classes weekly and then life just got too busy. So I'm not really doing that regularly anymore. Um, I, I have done that before in some of the weekend workshops that I've led and that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, does your husband practice? No. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he has done yoga, but, uh, he's, he's a runner and a cyclist. So he does yoga to, uh, stay limber. <laughs> yeah. But he doesn't love yoga like I do. Yeah. But he does, um, teach, the um, anatomy portion of the yoga teacher training at the local studio here. We're very good friends with um, uh, our, our very good friends own one of the yoga studios here and he does teacher training. So Dan teaches the, the anatomy portion of their yoga teacher training. So he's involved in that way. I mean, he's interested in it, but that he would be practice the asana very much. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm just thinking it would be nerve wracking enough to live with a, with a physical therapist, <laughs> like yeah. living with a chiropractor, you know, they're always looking, always oh, finding. He's constantly yelling at me about my poor posture when I'm working on the computer. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, but, but, uh, if I recall, you guys do kirtan together. Yeah, we do. Yeah. And he, you know, he studied, um, he studied some of the Buddhist stuff with me, like that part of it, but the yoga asana, he hasn't done so much, but yeah, he's a percussionist and I play harmonium. And one of my most favorite things to do is, you know, kirtan and Sanskrit chanting and that sort of thing. So that's been a really fun thing for us to be able to share and do together. So we do that a lot um, doing during the um, meditation classes in, in the days where we could do that in person <laughs> before, before COVID-19, we would do that at every class that I would teach. We would do some chanting and, and kirtan and he plays the drums for that. Yeah. 
It's quite powerful. You know, when you look at even just the neurologic aspect of chanting or kirtan and, and how it can be so uh, relaxing and parasympathetic stimulating. Yeah, it's so interesting. And, and there's a lot of studies they're doing now on the vagal nerve activity and how um, chanting stimulates the vagus nerve and how that results in a lot of not only calming benefits, but health benefits because of how the vagus nerve is involved in so many different processes in the body. So it is a really interesting practice. And it's fascinating to me how, you know, when you study all of these, you know, what we call ancient traditions that were around well before the advent of modern medicine, where we have all of these fancy understandings of the um, nervous system and the endocrine system and how that all works, all of these practices, um, you know, impacted those things very profoundly. So it's, it's so interesting to me to study that and the overlap of all of it and to understand from a kind of a modern medicine standpoint, how a lot of these ancient practices like meditation and chanting and even the yoga asana and all the different postures, how they work from a, a scientific sort of, um, physical body standpoint. Yeah. Even the breath work, do you, is that something that you guys would do as well? Yeah, we do. Um, we do pranayama again with, as part of the meditation practice. And um, yeah, I mean, that was one of the main impetuses for me taking deeper yoga teacher training is to learn more about the pranayama practices and how to teach those responsibly, you know, because, uh, you know, they're very powerful. <laughs> So, um, so yeah, that and the meditation and the chanting all go hand in hand for sure. Oh, you're right. I mean, I'm a huge uh, fan of breath work and, and yeah. certainly I think chanting and of course meditation, but, yeah. um, they all just, it's, it, it is very interesting, as you said, how the science has really yeah. kind of trying to catch up to why these things have stuck around for so long. Exactly. Exactly. You still doing jewelry? I am. I am. Um, I am fairly busy these days doing that, but it's sort of my hobby turned business. <laughs> so that's, it's a fun outlet for me to have. It's very meditative and creative. So it keeps me in touch with the other side of my brain after a hard day's work. So I enjoy that quite a lot. It started out just because I was looking for some things for myself and I couldn't find anything that I liked because I'm very particular. And uh, so I decided I could probably just make it because that's how I am. And um, so I made myself some some pieces. And then um, I just kept running into people that were asking me where I got it. And, oh, could you make one for me? Could you make one for my friend? And then I got so busy that um, I decided I better make it official because I was um, selling so many things. So, yeah, that's how Ilia was born. That's my uh, jewelry business that I have. So I'm definitely, that's alive and well. Good, good. So is there anything we should have talked about, but we didn't? Oh, let's see. I don't know. I mean, I think that the, you know, the important thing I think to talk about always is that in the context of sort of talking about how we explore other modes of medicine and integrative medicine and the overlap between 
what we call alternative medicine and conventional medicine, the most important thing always is just to remind ourselves and each other that it's important to be understanding, right? And to be kind and to understand that there, the world is a journey and medicine is a journey as well. And we're learning all the time and that the most important thing that we can do for medicine and for each other and for our own healing is to be kind and to be respectful. You know, it's very easy, I think, for us to get into a mindset of um, being divided, you know, like how we're different from each other. And I think it's it would be so powerful and helpful if we can just more and more remember how we're all the same and how we all want the same things and how um, kindness and understanding and respect for other viewpoints and other opinions and just holding an open and curious yet grounded mindset is the way to move forward. So that would be kind of, I think, the you know, the most important things in, in life and medicine and all of our training uh, to sort of wrap up the ideas that I would say. I have to agree. I, I, you know, when I think about where I was in my practice at the time of my training, integrated medicine training or holistic training and thing, you know, then looking at the elders, so to speak, it was, it was definitely an us versus them. You know, you either did alternative medicine or you did traditional medicine and, and just, it's been really, um, great to, to stand and watch how things have kind of melted at least more and more have melded together. And I certainly think of, of you as a person who's, who's put forth that idea and, and represents that. And I really appreciate that about you. Yeah. Yeah. It's been so interesting to kind of see how and encouraging to see how things are evolving because during my internship, for sure, I mean, there was a lot of closed mindedness around everything that wasn't, you know, that we didn't learn in vet school. Right. Even, uh, you know, very kind of open criticism of that. And I think that that's evolving and that culture is changing a little bit and that the way that we continue to help ourselves Um, have a healthy medical community is to just hold a space of understanding and possibility. And um, regardless of what we all believe to understand that nobody knows everything, you know, we're constantly learning all the time. And I think as long as we kind of stay in that space and that space of caring, you know, we can only have good things come to us. Couldn't agree more. Mm -hmm. All right. I think that's a great place to stop. Okay. Thanks so much for your time and I hope to see you soon. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Neil. All right. Bye-bye. This podcast is made possible through the generous support of the College of Integrative Veterinary Therapies. ZIVT provides world-leading education in natural medicine, including three accredited postgraduate qualifications, industry-recognized certifications, and a wide range of evidence-based courses and webinars delivered by qualified and experienced practitioners. By bridging cutting-edge science and tradition, CIVT helps you to expand your treatment options to tackle your most challenging cases. And whether you're a veterinarian, veterinary technician or nurse, animal health professional, or someone who wants to learn more, they have the right course for you. Investigate their offerings at civtedu.org. If you're enjoying this podcast, we'd appreciate if you'd take the time to tell a friend and to give us a favorable rating on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Thanks again for your support. We'll see you next time.